0: CHAPTER THREE OF THE HUMBUGS OF THE WORLD. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Graham Dunlop. THE HUMBUGS OF THE WORLD by P.T. Barnum Monsieur Magion, the French Humbug CHAPTER THREE One of the most original, unique, and successful humbugs of the present day was the late Monsieur Mainjean, the black-lead pencil-maker of Paris. Few persons who have visited the French capital within the last ten or twelve years can have failed to have seen him, and once seen, he was not to be forgotten. While passing through the public streets, There was nothing in his personal appearance to distinguish him from an ordinary gentleman. He drove a pair of bay horses, attached to an open carriage with two seats, the back one always occupied by his valet. Sometimes he would take up his stand in the Champs-Élysées, at other times near the column in the Place Vendôme. But usually he was seen in the afternoon at the Place de la Bastille, or the Place de la Madeleine. On Sundays his favourite locality was the Place de la Bourse. Majon was a well-formed, stately-looking individual, with a most self-satisfied countenance, which seemed to say, I am master here, and all that my auditors have to do is listen and obey. Arriving at his destined stopping-place, his carriage halted. His servant handed him a case from which he took several large portraits of himself, which he hung prominently upon the sides of his carriage, and also placed in front of him a vase filled with medals bearing his likeness on one side and a description of his pencils on the other. He then leisurely commenced a change of costume. His round hat was displaced by a magnificent burnished helmet, mounted with rich plumes of various brilliant colours. His overcoat was laid aside, and he donned in its stead a costly velvet tunic with gold fringes. He then drew a pair of polished steel gauntlets upon his hands, covered his breast with a brilliant cuirass, and placed a richly mounted sword at his side. His servant watched him closely, and upon receiving a sign from his master, he too put on his official costume, which consisted of a velvet robe and a helmet. The servant then struck up a tune on the richly-toned organ which always formed a part of Mangean's outfit. The grotesque appearance of these individuals, and the music, soon drew together an admiring crowd. Then the great charlatan stood upon his feet. His manner was calm, dignified, imposing, indeed almost solemn, for his face was as serious as that of the chief mourner at a funeral. His sharp, intelligent eyes scrutinized the throng which was pressing around his carriage, until it rested apparently upon some particular individual, when he gave a start then with a dark angry expression as if the sight was repulsive he abruptly dropped the visor of his helmet and thus covered his face from the gaze of the anxious crowd this bit of coquetry produced the desired effect in wetting the appetite of the multitude who were impatiently waiting to hear him speak when he had carried this kind of byplay as far as he thought the audience would bear it he raised his hand and his servant understanding the sign, stopped the organ. Magon then rang a small bell, stepped forward to the front of the carriage, gave a slight cough indicative of a preparation to speak, opened his mouth, but instantly giving a more fearful start and assuming a more sudden frown than before, he took his seat as if quite overcome by some unpleasant object which his eyes had rested upon thus far he had not spoken a word at last the prelude ended and the comedy commenced stepping forward again to the front of his carriage where all the gaping crowd could catch every word he exclaimed gentlemen you look astonished you seem to wonder and ask yourselves who is this modern quixote what mean this costume of bygone centuries this golden chariot these richly caparisoned steeds what is the name and purpose of this curious knight-errant gentlemen i will condescend to answer your queries i am monsieur manjon the great charlatan of france yes gentlemen i am a charlatan a mountebank it is my profession not from choice but from necessity you gentlemen created that necessity You would not patronize true, unpretending, honest merit, but you are attracted by my glittering cask, my sweeping crest, my waving plumes. You are captivated by din and glitter, and therein lies my strength. Years ago I hired a modest shop in the Rue Rivoli, but I could not sell pencils enough to pay my rent, whereas by assuming this disguise, for it is nothing else, I have succeeded in attracting general attention and in selling literally millions of my pencils, and I assure you there is at this moment scarcely an artist in France or in Great Britain who don't know that I manufacture by far the best black-lead pencils ever seen. And this assertion was indeed true. His pencils were everywhere acknowledged to be superior to any other. While he was thus addressing the audience, he would take a blank card and with one of his pencils would pretend to be drawing the portrait of some man standing near him then showing his picture to the crowd it proved to be the head of a donkey which of course produced roars of laughter there do you see what wonderful pencils these are did you ever behold a more striking likeness a hearty laugh would be sure to follow and then he would exclaim now who will have the first pencil only five sous One would buy, and then another, a third and a fourth would follow, and with the delivery of each pencil he would rattle off a string of witticisms which kept his patrons in capital good humour, and frequently he would sell from two hundred to five hundred pencils in immediate succession. Then he would drop down in his carriage for a few minutes and wipe the perspiration from his face while his servant played another overture on the organ. This gave his purchasers a chance to withdraw, and afforded a good opportunity for a fresh audience to congregate. Then would follow a repetition of his previous sales, and in this way he would continue for hours. To those disposed to have a souvenir of the great humbug, he would sell six pencils, a medal, and a photograph of himself for a franc, twenty cents after taking a rest he would commence new speech when i was modestly dressed like any of my hearers i was half starved punch and his bells would attract crowds but my good pencils attracted nobody i imitated punch and his bells and now i have two hundred depots in paris i dine at the best cafés drink the best wine live on the best of everything, while my defamers get poor and lank, as they deserve to be. Who are my defamers? Envious swindlers, men who try to ape me, but are too stupid and too dishonest to succeed. They endeavour to attract notices mountebanks, and then foist upon the public worthless trash, and hope thus to succeed. Ha! <laughs> defamers of mine, you are fools as well as knaves. Fools to think that any man can succeed by systematically and persistently cheating the public. Knaves for desiring the public's money without giving them an equivalent. I am an honest man. I have no bad habits. And I now declare if any trader, inventor, manufacturer or philanthropist will show me better pencils than mine, I will give him 1,000 francs. No. Not to him, for I abhor betting, but to the poor of the thirty-first arrondissement, where I live. Manjohn's harangues were always accompanied by a peculiar play of feature and of voice, and with unique and original gestures, which seemed to excite and captivate his audience. About seven years ago I met him in one of the principal restaurants in the palais Royal. A mutual friend introduced me. Ah, said he, Monsieur Barnum, I am delighted to see you. I have read your book with infinite satisfaction. It has been published here in numerous editions. I see you have the right idea of things. Your motto is a good one. We study to please. I have much wanted to visit America, but I cannot speak English, so I must remain in my dear Belle France. I remarked that i had often seen him in public and bought his pencils aha you never saw better pencils you know i could never maintain my reputation if i sold poor pencils but sacre bleu my miserable would-be imitators do not know our grand secret first attract the public by din and tinsel by brilliant sky-rockets and bengala lights then give them as much as possible for their money you are very happy i replied in your manner of attracting the public your costume is elegant your chariot is superb and your valet and music are sure to draw thank you for your compliment mr b but i have not forgotten your buffalo hunt your mermaid nor your woolly horse they were a good offset to my rich helmet and sword my burnished gauntlets and gaudy cuirass. both are intended as advertisements of something genuine and both answer the purpose. After comparing notes in this way for an hour, we parted, and his last words were, Mr. B., I have got a grand humbug in my head which I shall put in practice within a year, and it shall double the sale of my pencils. Don't ask me what it is, but within one year you shall see it for yourself, and you shall acknowledge Monsieur Minjean, knows something of human nature my idea is magnifique but it is one grand secret i confess my curiosity was somewhat excited and i hoped that monsieur Magon would add another wrinkle to my horns but poor fellow within four months after i bade him adieu the paris newspapers announced his sudden death They added that he had left two hundred thousand francs, which he had given in his will to charitable objects. The announcement was copied into nearly all of the papers on the continent and in Great Britain, for almost everybody had seen or heard of the eccentric pencil-maker. His death caused many an honest sigh, and his absence seemed to cast a gloom over several of his favourite halting-places. The Parisians really loved him, and were proud of his genius. Well, people in Paris would remark, Jean was a clever fellow. He was shrewd, and possessed a thorough knowledge of the world. He was a gentleman, and a man of intelligence, extremely agreeable and witty. His habits were good. He was charitable. He never cheated anybody he always sold a good article and no person who purchased from him had cause to complain i confess i felt somewhat chagrined that the monsieur had thus suddenly taken french leave without imparting to me the grand secret by which he was to double the sales of his pencils but i had not long to mourn on that account for after monsieur majon had been for six months as they say of John Brown, mouldering in his grave, judge of the astonishment and delight of all Paris at his reappearance in his native city in precisely the same costume and carriage as formerly, and heralded by the same servant and organ that had always attended him. It now turned out that M. Majan had lived in the most rigid seclusion for half a year, and that the extensively circulated announcements of his sudden death had been made by himself, merely as an advertising dodge, to bring him still more into notice, and give the public something to talk about. I met Mangean in Paris soon after this event. Aha! Monsieur Barnum! he exclaimed. Did I not tell you I had a new humbug that would double the sales of my pencils? I assure you, my sales are more than quadrupled, and it's sometimes impossible to have them manufactured fast enough to supply the demand. You Yankees are very clever, but by gar, none of you have discovered you should live all the better if you would die for six months. It took Jean to teach you that. The patronizing air with which he made this speech, slapping me at the same time familiarly upon the back, showed him in his true character of egotist. Although good-natured and social to a degree, he was really one of the most self-conceited men I ever met. Monsieur Mahon died the present year, and it's said that his heirs received more than half a million of francs as the fruit of his eccentric labours. End of chapter 3